I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin, and you're listening to Cafe Scolay. Welcome to another podcast episode in which we seek to bring restful, contemplative learning back to our schools, homeschools, and lives. That is to say, to bring Scolé back to school. In this episode, I'd like to feature Christ as the teacher. Christ as the teacher of rest. I'm taking my inspiration from one of the early Greek church fathers, Clement of Alexandria, who lived from about 150 AD to 215 AD. He wrote a short little piece called Christ the Pedagogue, or Christ the Teacher. It's a really prescient piece. It's, 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 not, it's not very long, it's brief, but in this, in this writing, he highlights the ways in which Christ is the teacher of us all. And for those of us who are Christians, this makes perfect sense. If Christ is the truth, That means that all truths find their source in Christ as the fountain of truth. And that would be also the case with, say, goodness. Who is good but God alone, Christ says at one point. He's the author of all that is good. He defines what is good. And anything that is good is partaking to some degree in Christ. The same is the case with beauty. Who is the author of all that's beautiful? The creator himself. Christ the Logos. The Word of God. And Clement of Alexandria uses this word logos as kind of the paradigm word that, in, that, in, that encapsulates and describes who Christ is writ large. He is the logos. He's the word. He's the communication. He's the idea. He's the reason. He's the argument. He's the logic. This Greek word logos was a rich word with many dimensions. We read in John chapter 1 that in principio erat verbum, or in arche en hologas, in the beginning was the logos, the verbum, the word. And to Clement, the word is our teacher as well. And he teaches what he likes to call the little ones. To Clement, all of us qualify as being little ones in light of Christ being our teacher. I'm thinking of Matthew 11, verse 28 and following, where Christ says, come to me. How many of us just need to hear that call? To hear Christ saying, come. In the midst of whatever we're doing, probably some kind of busyness, do you hear him calling, come? And so, at first, our attention just needs to be directed to Christ the Logos, who is saying to us, come. And there's a kind of turning, therefore, that we need to make, a turning to Christ to hear him saying, come. And of course, 
If you know this passage from Matthew 11, you know what he says afterwards. He says, come unto me, come to me. He says, take up my yoke upon you. Well, that's a bit odd. He says, take up my yoke upon you. It's, it's easy. And my burden is light and I will give you rest. Well, how is he going to be giving us rest when he's asking us to take up an instrument of strenuous work? Which is a yoke, after all. You know, a yoke was used with, say, two oxen and a farmer and a plow. Is he calling us like an ox to put on a yoke and to begin pulling a plow? But he says that his yoke is not any old yoke. It's an unusual yoke. It's a yoke that is easy. How can it be easy to plow? Uh, Well, it's easy because of whom we will be yoked with. It's easy because... Christ is the one we will be paired with. And to be paired with Christ, the strong one, means that indeed the yoke's going to be easy and the burden's going to be light. But note that we're still engaging in a kind of work. We're, we're being called to work, but it's a work that can involve a kind of ease. There's a place somewhere where Robert Frost says, good poetry is like truth moving easy in harness. Hope I got that right. But we're harnessed with Christ, and somehow, in ways that are hard to fully explain, it makes the work easy. It brings a kind of levity even to hard work. And therefore, this gives an insight into what rest is, and the Greek word there is anaposis. Anaposis. He was going to give anaposis to our souls, he says in this passage, rest to our souls, to our psuche in the Greek. There's a kind of levity, apparently, that can come into the work when we are harnessed with Christ. That, I think, is worth thinking about. Note that in this passage as well, he says, I am gentle and humble of heart. Um, Some translations will say, I'm meek. But this humble, humbleness, this humility of heart, the Greek word there is tapenos. There's a humility that Christ has that seems to make the call attractive. His gentleness, his humility, his strength make even the call to put on a yoke attractive. Well, the reality, of course, is that we will always be doing some kind of work in this world. But not only do we find rest, say, in a literal time, uh, temporal sense, by taking Sunday off from work, the Sunday Sabbath that Christians enjoy, but this passage seems to say that rest isn't just for the Sabbath on a particular day where we stop plowing, there's a sense in which all of life is to be characterized by a kind of restful engagement, a kind of restful 
plowing with Christ. That means that rest seems to leaven, as it were, the whole loaf of life, such that we find rest for our souls, not just on Sundays, but all the time. So, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, that scole can mean undistracted time to study the things that are most worthwhile. Well, we want to add to this, to this Greek word skole in the concept of it, this idea of anaposis, rest. And in the Greek, you can hear the word pause in anaposis. It's a kind of divine pausing. It's a disposition. It's a reorientation. It's the disposition that comes when we have deep communion with Christ and a deep awareness of his presence with us. Well, Clement of Alexandria also is going to touch on these themes, but his point of departure is really more Matthew 18, because in Matthew 18 we read this. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set him before, before them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Well, Clement calls students little ones. He sees all of us who are to be educated through the eyes of Christ as little ones. Here Jesus is answering the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he responds, of course, with a reversal saying, well, the child will become great. In the heaven, whoever in heaven, whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Note that word humble. It's the same word that we encountered in Matthew 11 when we read that Jesus was humble of heart. Jesus here is saying that we must, as it were, tapeno, we must have tapenos as a child has tapenos, humility, if we are to be qualified for the kingdom of heaven. We are to be like little ones. And whoever receives a little one is receiving Christ. And then Christ is really turning his attention to teaching when he says, but whoever would cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better that a millstone be hung around his neck and him thrown into the depth of the sea. Teaching is a terrible responsibility because we have these little ones under our care, and we must receive them, and in so doing, we receive Christ. And we are to become like them. So, really, the, the teacher before Christ is already a little one. Maybe we're not as little as the little ones who are before. We're all little ones, however. We're just a bit more grown up, if we would call ourselves a teacher. Now, Clement says... That Christ is the pedagogue. The word he uses in the Greek there is Christ the pedagogus. pedagogus. He is the leader of the little ones. 
because that word pedagogue or pedagogos literally means the leader of a child. Pais paidos in Greek means child, and ago means to lead or to do. And so this is the leader of a child, a pedagogue. Now, this might cast some new light on a word that you've probably heard before, pedagogy. It's usually the art of teaching, teaching methods well. Pedagogy literally means to lead a child, the art of leading a child. And to lead a child to what? Well, of course, to know that which is true, good, and beautiful, and to know Christ, and to be in the kingdom of heaven. So Christ, as the pedagogue, is the leader of the little ones, and in so much as we are teachers, we are leading little ones too, as little ones ourselves, being led by Christ, the great pedagogue. Clement goes on and he says, really, as Christ the Word and Christ the pedagogue teaches and leads us, he performs three important roles. And they come in a kind of sequence for Clement. First, Christ is the persuader. Then he is the consoler. And then he is the counselor. And he says that first, Christ must be the persuader of habits. And then he's talking about teachers as well. Before we can really properly learn anything, our habits need to be formed into virtues. This means for the student, uh, he will require the quality traits and virtues such as constancy, diligence, and industry. He'll require temperance to know when he is bounding beyond what his capacities really would allow, and to know when he is being lazy and not even employing the capacities he has. That's temperance. He'll also need fortitude or courage to be able to step up into something that might cause a little bit of trepidation with the encouragement of a good teacher who is a persuader and encourager, who encourages a student to bend but not break. And then, of course, love and humility are educational virtues that every student should acquire. So, Clement says, first, Christ must enable these little ones to develop habits of virtue. Then, Christ, as the consoler, addresses and heals our passions. Because we have disordered passions We love things inordinately. We love Netflix too much and church too little and so forth. Our loves are not ordered. Our passions are not ordered. And so we're easily distracted and fragmented. Christ as the consoler heals and cures us of these disordered passions. And Clement says this has to happen before we can move on to another important phase of teaching or pedagogy, and that's the role of the counselor who leads us to right and good action and deeds that are integrally involved in all education, such that the result is going to be knowledge, instruction, explanation, and understanding. 
Because to some degree, every student has to become his own teacher. He has to learn for himself with the teacher. Every, everything that a student comes to know must pass through his own mind. And so the teacher, the pedagogist counselor, is able to instruct and impart knowledge to students who have had their passions healed and who have developed great educational habits. These little ones can be well led by such a pedagogue. Well, I think that's fascinating. And I think in, in a short passage, really, Clement is onto something quite important. Do we serve as pedagogues who craft and cultivate habits that lead to learning, dispositions in a mindset that is docile, teachable, open to being instructed? Do we help students to overcome and heal their passions so that we can become instructors? Well, um, I find that meaningful, and I think you'll enjoy reading Clement of Alexandria. You can find this um, little book on the internet. Just look up Clement of Alexandria and Christ the Teacher, and you'll quickly find access to this writing. Well, a few more comments before we end today's podcast. The words that are used for teacher and student and education are themselves really instructive to what it means to be a teacher and to teach restfully. We've already seen that pedagogos or pedagogue means that we're leading a child. Didaskalos is another Greek word for teacher, and it means more or less the instructor. And you can almost hear the word didactic in didaskalos. But then there's a really important word that we've already been dancing around. Parakletos. The parakletos who's described in John 14, 15, and 16. Sometimes called the paraclete. It's a Greek word, and it means the one who is called beside Para, beside, kletos, called. So when someone has been called to your side, they're coming alongside you to persuade, to console, and to counsel. This is how Clement is thinking about it. Well, this is the Holy Spirit's role. In John 14, we read that he's the uh, the teacher who also brings to our remembrance, he reminds us of all the things that have been taught by Christ. He, when he comes, we read in John 15, when the paraclete comes, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he's called the spirit of truth. And he's also called the comforter, therefore, or the counselor. Sometimes this word parakletos is is translated as helper, advocate, and intercessor as well. But he's also the spirit of truth, and he's the great reminder. The Greek word in John 14, 26, that says that he will bring to our minds again what has already been taught is hupomenesco. And the word mnemonic is related to this verb. He reminds us, he brings to mind again those things that we need to hear and contemplate and truly possess. And isn't this true of any great teacher? Any great teacher 
doesn't just teach the great ideas and skills once and then is done. No, he or she will come back again and again and bring back to mind important ideas, sometimes from a different perspective and in a different context to further show the connections and relationships that that idea has to others and to further fix this understanding permanently in the mind and soul of a student. Does not Christ do the same thing? Isn't there a kind of holy repetition in our lives as Christians? And then therefore, ought there ought not to be a kind of holy repetition and review and reminding in our restful teaching of our little ones. And this does bring rest, does it not? When we hear that there is a paraclete, someone who comes alongside us, who loves us, who at all times wants to lead us into truth and bring back to mind the things that are really important. Isn't this one a comforter? and a helper, and an advocate, and an intercessor, and a counselor, and a persuader. That is the perikletos, the one who's come beside us. And we as teachers need to imitate him. We, being ministered unto by the perikletos, become little perikletoi, ourselves as we seek to lead the little ones, and we're calling on that Perikletos to help us to be a help and a comfort in harmony and communion with the Holy Spirit himself. Well, I want to conclude with just a few comments about the Greek word for education that I think also, rightly understood, can bring rest to your soul. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the paideia kuriu, which means the paideia of the Lord. Now, the word paideia, you can hear paidagogos in there, can you not? Because pais paidos in Greek means child. A pediatrician, as we saw said earlier, treats a child. It's around. You know this word. Well, paideia is what you do with a child. You, in the Greek mind, you take that child and you cultivate and educate it and raise it up until it's a fully functioning citizen or adult. It would sound to the Greek's ear, this word for education or training or discipline, it would sound like childing, paideia, childing. It's what you properly do with a child to nurture and grow and raise it. Raise the child up. Then there's 2 Timothy 3.16, where we encounter this word again, where Paul writes that the word of God is God-breathed, it's inspired, and it's useful for instruction and training in righteousness. So scripture, of course, becomes a part of every Christian's education, and Paul calls that a paideia of in righteousness. So, There you have the word as a part of what Scripture does for the young Christian. Galatians 3.24 is another place where we encounter the word paedagogos. This is where Paul says that the Old Testament law was our 
schoolmaster, our tutor, or our guardian until Christ came. He was, excuse me, the law was our pedagogos, our pedagogue that led us like children to Christ. So I find this encouraging, even inspiring, to know that I as a teacher stand before him as a little one who is yoked to him so that I might do my teaching work in an easy harness with a light burden, knowing that he is with me, working with me, joined to me. I'm in union with Christ, the great pedagogue, so that I might be even a small pedagogue to lead the little ones to the truth, goodness, and beauty that really is Christ himself. And all with the help of the helper, the comforter, the intercessor, the advocate, the counselor, the paraclete sent to us by the Father himself. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 